I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, recording after the Patriots fall to two and six, three-time Super Bowl champ James White. will join us as he always does every Sunday. That'll be the first thing you hear as part of our local angle TV show on FanDuel, which airs every Monday morning at 9 a.m., then I want to get into some Celtics as well, because that was an electric game on Friday night. Big win for the C. So I got some thoughts on that. And then Jamie and I will go through our bets in a little bit as well. And if you didn't notice by now, my voice is kind of going. So bear bear with me throughout this. Coming up next, though, you'll hear from three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. And joining us now, as he does each and every week, three-time Super Bowl champ, James White. James, I've been battling. I've been screaming at the Patriots during this game. So the voice is not ideal, and the result was not ideal. As the Patriots lose again, they fall to two and six. And from my perspective, the most aggravating thing about this game is it felt like the Patriots really had a chance to win. Like they had opportunities in this game. The Dolphins were the better team, but when they had those opportunities, they couldn't take advantage of them. And this has sort of been a theme of the season, the Buffalo game notwithstanding. Yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. Another tough loss for sure. You know, for me, I thought they at least had to get one of them versus Buffalo or Miami. They got the one last week. They definitely had their opportunities, especially early on in this football game. They just, just couldn't capitalize on it. When you play good football teams like the Dolphins are, and that team's going to continue to get better. They're getting banged up a little bit on their offensive line, but their scheme allows for them to, you know, kind of withstand a lot yeah. of that stuff. It's it's crazy. It's, it's a hard offense to stop, and our defense, they, they controlled them for the most part. I mean, Tyreek, we usually contain Tyreek Hill a little bit better. He, he had a good day today. You know, Waddle had a day. So whenever those two guys are you know, going for 100, 100 yards, each getting a touchdown, it's, it's tough. And when you, you're not able to really throw the football or run the football that well, yeah, it's, it's a hard day. Just 
it's just more of the same in the offense last week. They had a good week. This week it was just a little bit, you know, inconsistent, really couldn't get drives going. And obviously the big turning point was the drive before the half after that. Then it was kind of like couldn't really get anything going after that. Yeah, I really felt like the defense put the offense in a position where they should have won the game, or at least they had a chance to win the game. I thought the defense, considering who you were playing, played more than well enough. And we can get into that in greater detail. But the thing that sticks out to me, you mentioned it, is essentially at the end of the first half, you have basically it's a fake screen to Douglas, who at one point during this game, give Pop Douglas a lot of credit. He was double teamed at one point, a six round (laughs) rookie. But nonetheless, they have this play they set up where it's a fake screen and Ramsey reads it, right? Yeah. So he comes off of Parker and, or excuse me, he comes off, yeah, he comes Parker, off Devontae yeah. Parker. He thinks Kendrick Bourne is wide open, does Mac. He doesn't see that Jalen Ramsey kind of comes off that. So that's an interception. They go the other way. They end up kicking a field goal at the end of the half. But instead of it being maybe 14 to 14, at the very least, it's 14 to 10 at that particular point because you're in field goal range. Miami goes down. They take a 17 to 7 lead. So it's now a two-possession game rather than either being a tie game or you're down by just four points. You keep it at one possession. And then the other thing that stuck out to me is after the Mostert fumble, you take over at the 19. It's a third and five. Mac takes a sack, and you just got to get rid of that football because Devontae Parker is wide open, and it felt like Mac really, that really wasn't part of his progression for some reason, and he ran wide open. So then you're looking at, you have to settle for the field goal. You get catch a break right at the start of the third quarter. It should be a 17-14 to 14 game. Instead, it's going to be a 17-10 to 10 game because now, look, you still got to punch it in eventually, but you took that opportunity away. I do wonder if that was sort of a carryover from the end of the first half where maybe Mac was gun-shy or he just didn't see Devontae Parker But those two plays are plays that your quarterback, if he's trying to build up progress and make a stand, that he's the quarterback of this organization going forward, you got to make those plays. You definitely got to make those plays. The play before the half, I thought that was just a heck of a play by, you know, Jalen Ramsey. Good good eye recognition. Look, those guys get paid to a guy like him, one of the better corners in the NFL, passes off the post, you know, knowing that's a very ideal concept from a lot of teams, post wheel, good recognition. Like maybe if, if Mac throws it like a tad bit earlier, throws it on a little bit more of a rope, he can get it in there. He was just kind of assuming, you know, that area was vacated in the zone. But that's a heck of a play by him. But yeah, that was that was deflating. But then you, you know, obviously get a fumble first play after the half, get a fumble. You, know, you gotta you gotta cash in on those opportunities against, you know, offense that can score a lot of points and is extremely explosive. They give you an opportunity, you know, turn the football over right there, right there on, you know, pretty much in the red zone. You got you gotta find a way to punch that in. So yeah, Mac's gotta They'll find a way to get the ball to, you know, Devontae in that situation and try and get you know, seven points out of that because you, you really have to capitalize on those. I mean, they did it earlier in the game. You know, Duggar had the interception. They scored off of that. But the more they can do that, defense has, you know, last year they created a ton of turnovers. This year they've, you know, kind yeah. of struggled. They've picked it up you know, the last couple of weeks. When your defense is able to create those things, you got to capitalize, score points on it, especially as an offense who hasn't been very good, been able to drive, you know, eight, ten plays and go score. You get a short field, be confident, go score, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, they got to be better. Yeah, and I did feel like, too, just from Mac overall in this game, you look at the numbers. Last week, he throws for 272. He has a 126.7 passer rating. And I said on here, I thought last week, a lot of that was Bill O'Brien. Like, he did a really good job sort of dialing things up for Mac. And if you look at it in this game, he throws for 161 yards on 29 attempts. That's 5.6 yards per attempt, which would have ranked 
basically, that's one of the you'd be one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL with that number. And Mac has not been good on the season either. But last week he's at nine point one. So I was wondering, hey, can he carry this over? I did think they started the game well with the idea of, hey, let's play our two best players again. You saw Douglas featured, as I mentioned, he was double teamed. You saw Kendrick Bourne with the touchdown pass. Unfortunately, he goes down with the injury. Now, hopefully he's not lost for the season because that is certainly a guy that Mac cannot lose. He's been the best receiver on this team. But it just it felt like plays were there for Mac. And I was hopeful that maybe, hey, he could build off what he did last week. But it just felt like and it's not all on Mac. It's never all on one player. But if you want to sort of make your stamp that you're the franchise quarterback of the Patriots, this is a division game. You have to at least be on the same level as the other quarterback. Last week, he outplayed Josh Allen. This week against Tua, Tua was the superior player. Despite some mistakes that Tua made in this game, he at least made some big plays. Mack didn't make any big plays in this game. The play action pass to Farrell Brown, that was a nice pass. Although for a second there, I was thinking, please get there, please get there, please get there. <laughs> but overall, I thought it was a step backwards for Mack after maybe he figured some things out last week. Yeah, I mean... Dolphins defense is pretty solid. You know, obviously they get one of their guys, Jalen Ramsey, back. They definitely missed some opportunities. They didn't. They weren't able to push the ball down the field. You know, create too many explosive plays in the passing game. It was a lot of you know, kind of like last week. They really relied upon the you know short passing game. You know, guys catching run plays. The Dolphins did a heck of a job. You know, kind of limiting big plays out of those situations. So you got to give them a lot of credit. Yes, I think Mac needs to play better. Definitely wasn't all on him. You know, at times there wasn't much separation from the receivers or you know, if there was a guy open, he may miss him. So that's kind of more of the same just from what I've been seeing. It's just, I guess, sometimes guys are open, maybe a miss. He doesn't see him. The next next third down, you know, nobody's open. He's he's holding on, looking for somebody to you know, get rid of the yeah. ball. So everybody, like, takes their turn, and it's just really hard to get any consistency as an offense as everybody's taking their turn, not getting the job done. So I thought, you know, Bill O'Brien's down up some pretty good plays. The fourth down play to Juju, that was creative. No, they're in man coverage. Yeah. You know, send send them back and forth in the motion, which is almost impossible to stop unless you have great communication. See every team struggle with that and man coverage. It's kind of like what the what the Dolphins do. That's why you know Jack and Jay Jones had the blown coverage on the on the waddle pass. Yeah. It's, it's extremely hard to communicate on the run. You're a man coverage. Are we switching it? Are we not? And boom, he's he's wide open. He's got to have a split second decision. So maybe they'll you know implement a little bit more of that for. You know, the man coverage that they're probably going to see throughout the year because they're seeing if teams are going to challenge them to see if the receivers can consistently create separation. So maybe you know, doing more of those fast motions like the Dolphins do. They, they've been doing it all year long, and it's been working. I mean, teams know it's coming, but, you know, it's nothing like the real thing where you get in the moment. It's like, all right, like, what are we actually doing? Snap. Guy running a 4-2. He's past you, wide open. You got a quarterback. <laughs> got a quarterback who's, you know, he's, he's ready to get the ball out of his hands, and that's what you got to give know to a lot of credit i mean their offensive line you know isn't necessarily the greatest but their scheme and his kind of understanding of what they're trying to get done he's he's not trying to hold on to that ball i mean sometimes it costs them like it did early in the game because he kind of throws the spots with a lot of anticipation but for the most part it works for him so you gotta give him credit yeah two is like tony allen when he played for the memphis grizzlies like, how do i get rid of this <laughs> yeah, i don't want the ball i can't shoot i don't want the ball and look two is really good at distributing yeah. the ball quickly but you get my point it's like a hot potato he gets the ball boom it's coming right out which i mean that's two. give them credit they scheme it up because that offensive line we've seen all season even today they're dealing with injuries and quite frankly the personnel is not great but i did want to get your take on the defense because it was really good overall but you mentioned of course the breakdown where both guys go with Waddle, that's clearly, they're looking at Tyreek Hill. 
But the other play where Tyreek Hill scores the touchdown pass that was a really a backbreaker in this game. So J.C. Jackson's on the outside. Mapu, who's like a hybrid safety linebacker at 230 pounds, is the other guy on the inside. So what is sort of the plan there? Because I thought like the whole idea, when they've had success against Tyreek Hill, it's when they get their hands on him, right? Like you got to at least disrupt him a little bit. So is that a scheme thing? Is that a player made a mistake in coverage? Like how does that happen? Because it seems like the philosophy behind that, from my perspective, and you would know a lot better than me, <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. Like that's how you're defending Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, I think they were supposed to bracket him in that situation. And I think sometimes when you have the bracket, the guy's kind of relaxed. It's like, oh, is it, we, we both got him. Like, okay, he's just going to – okay, he sees the double team. He probably won't do much. But the, the best way to beat a, a double team is to, to run right through it because guys are expecting you to break one, break left, break right. You know, I got help inside. I got the outside. And next thing you know, you know, we know how fast he is. He's he's through the middle. And that, I think that's the first time, you know, all season I've seen Mapu in that – in that situation, deep in the you know, yeah. middle of the field, so that was kind of. At first, I was wondering, I'm like, who is, I'm like, who is that right there in that situation? Usually, it's like a like a Duggar or Jabril Peppers in that situation. You probably, you know, much rather have one of those guys in the double in that situation on on that type of guy. But hey, he, it's your rookie going to make mistakes. It's a learning curve from him next time in that situation. Just make sure, especially a guy like that, just stay on stay on top of him. Make him make him try and break underneath you. You make the tackle, but hey. That guy's been doing that every single week. It's double team, triple team. It's hard to stop that dude. I mean, they did they did really well the the first week. You know, obviously Gonzalez did a heck of a job on him. You know, sometimes will help, sometimes not. Yeah, you can't you can't relax in a double team situation because he knows that type of guy, he knows he's gonna get double teamed, but he he knows if I, if, I, if I run as fast as I possibly can, I'm gonna outrun you know most guys and I can outrun the double. Yeah, and that's something he did last week against the Eagles, yes, too. Yeah, he ran for a bracket. Same, same, same you don't thing. see that. How many guys in the NFL like have actually seen It's like, wait, hold on. We're bracketing him, and he ran through it. So sometimes you just got to tip your hat to the player on the other side. But you mentioned something there that just sort of got my head moving. And I was thinking to myself, as you mentioned at Christian Gonzalez, we're missing out on so many opportunities to see they nailed a pick. Christian Gonzalez was so good. And now for the rest of the season, we don't get to see him play football, which is like one of the things as Patriots fans we want to see. And we don't even get to see that anymore, which stinks. Yeah, I mean, but you can think about the future, you know, <laughs> think about the future. Yeah. You got you gonna have Jack Jones back. You probably JC back. You're going to have, look, Jonathan Jones back. You're going to have a nice, you know, secondary come next year. You're going to have, you know, Marcus Jones will be back. Yeah, some extreme depth and a lot of guys that can run a lot of versatility. So I know I know we don't like to look, you know, look too far ahead, but like when he does come back, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of guys that have played a lot of major snaps that are gonna work well together. We we know Bill likes to play a lot of defensive backs and all those guys can play man to man coverage, which he, we know he likes to do. He can get back to, you know, last several years has been a little bit more zone. But when you have guys like that who can actually, you know, match with, you know, you know, maybe not Tyreek Hill every single week, but they can match up with a lot of teams across the board. So I think it's definitely a bright future for that secondary. No doubt. Well, look forward to Christian Gonzalez in the future, everybody. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike after you just heard our FanDuel portion of the program. Yeah, the Christian Gonzalez thing, James, we were talking about, it stinks, but he'll be back next year. We'll get to watch him next season. The other guy that I thought, he like, you look at the defense, a couple of big plays in this game that stuck out to me Early on, Mostert loses three yards and 
Jabril Peppers just broke like flies into the backfield. Jabril Peppers is now by Pro Football Focus, and I always preface it by saying it's not the end all be all. Yeah. But he's the number one ranked run defender in the entire NFL, regardless of position. So he's been really good for this team as well. And that's where that's why I just get sort of aggravated at the result of the game because you look at what this Patriots defense was able to do to that Dolphins offense and the numbers are really good. Like the Dolphins are a team where you hold them to 78 rushing yards on 26 carries. They average 162. So they're 84 yards below their average. Only five teams are south of 77. So you made them look like a bottom five rushing team in the NFL. You look from uh, an efficiency standpoint, three point yards per attempt. And if you look at it on the season, they lead the league at 6.3. So efficiency wise, they were the worst rush attack in the NFL this week. And I get they don't have HN, but most starts, but uh, most rather has been putting up <laughs> yards on everybody <laughs> throughout the season, right? Even their third downs. And look, they did have three fourth down conversions. So that kind of filters yeah, into this, wait. but five of 14 on third down overall, which is not a good number. But that's where, like, if I'm a defensive player on this team, I felt like, hey, my offense. We saw a competent group last week, and then you come back to this week. This is all you can like ask for from your defense, right? Where they keep you in the game. They give you opportunities, and the offense on the flip side can't do anything. They ran 73 plays, did the Dolphins, compared to the Patriots, who ran 51. Cleveland leads the league at 71.2. Denver is the worst in the league at 55.4. So basically, you had the best offense in the league against the worst defense in the league, or the worst offense in the league in terms of plays per game. The time of possession, they had the ball for 24 minutes and five seconds. That's like nothing. My voice is going to squeak because I've been losing it anyway, but that's just alarming. I don't know if the squeak was like meant to happen for that particular situation. But it's just like these are the things where we felt like, okay, if you're going to win this game, you have to do what you did last week. Where the Patriots last week, to their credit, they dominated time of possession. They were over 34 minutes. And even if the run game wasn't efficient, they stayed on the field. And today they couldn't do anything. They were one of 11 or one of nine, rather, on third down for 11.1%. It's just, man, I, 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 I really did feel like there was at least some progress made from the offense last week. And you look at it, it's, it's we're back to the team that we saw a couple of weeks ago against the Saints, against the Raiders, against the Cowboys. I mean, not to that level against yeah. the Cowboys, but still bad. Yeah, I mean, I said the Dolph- Dolphins are a good football team. So, like, it's one of those teams that are going to challenge you. But I thought they did a heck of a job. You know, slowing down the explosivity of their run game. We all know what Mostert don't have a chain out there, but that guy's just as explosive. He's had a big couple weeks. So that was my big concern for them, having to stop the run, which they did do that. You know, usually we do a pretty a pretty good job of handling Tyreek Hill. Like I said earlier, Jalen Waddle, you know, he typically plays well against us. But to have both of those guys, you know, go over, you know, 100 yards, two was, you know, pretty efficient as well, aside from the interceptions that kind of probably – you know, outweigh them rushing for their normal 160 yards, but it's a it's a it's a tough offense to stop. But that our defense played well enough to win the football game. Offense didn't, you know, play very complimentary football. Just couldn't sustain drives. Probably with the longest drives, probably like four minutes or so. You know, it just seemed like Miami just really controlled the time possession. Whether you know they were five or fourteen on third down, but converting on fourth down, extending drives. You know, punching it in when they get in the red zone just seemed like, you know, whatever they do were doing just seemed to be working offensively. And, you know, for us, offensively, it just didn't seem to be clicking. And just kind of how it's been all year long, aside from last week. Last week, you know, sustained drives, you know, it had a few explosive plays, you know, whether it was you know, chunk plays down the field or, you know, checking it down to guys, letting them do the work. 
And I thought Zeke ran the ball pretty well. I thought they should have ran the ball a lot more, in my opinion. Zeke was, you know, breaking tackles and things of that nature. I know he had the you know, fumble and whatnot. Jalen Ramsey got a good hit on him, but yeah, I think they need to lean into the run game a little bit more. Get those, get yeah. those two guys going. That's gonna open, you know, everything up. I always think, you know, even like Ramondre, I feel like he wasn't even in the game enough, in, in my opinion. I know Zeke was in there yeah. a little bit more today. You know, kind of from what I saw, but yeah, just get those two guys going, man. Those are two good backs. You gotta gotta get the ball in their hands. Yeah, and I thought Ramondre too. This is the first time I felt like he looked like twenty twenty two Ramondre. <laughs> there was that one play near midfield where he basically took a guy for like four yards and then he broke <laughs> another tackle. I'm like, oh, this looks like Ramondre again. And you could see after the touchdown, he was he was kind of getting fired up. And he's not usually the type of guy that does that. Yeah. That you, we usually expect that from. Kendrick Bourne, which, by the way, as we're recording, Ann Rappaport reports that the Patriots believe it's in MCL. Hopefully that's the case, and he's going to get imaging and stuff tomorrow to figure out whether or not how long he's going to be out and what the injury actually is. Hopefully it's not an ACL and just an MCL, as Rappaport is reporting, because you'd love to have Kendrick Bourne on the field for the rest of the game. ESPN had this stat this week. They do, like, their receiving metrics. He was ranked 11th in the entire NFL. It's based on, like... Yeah, contested catches, that stuff. So I hope he gets his opportunity to come back because this is a guy that's looking at a pretty sizable payday, I would say, in the offseason as he approaches free agency. Um, one other thing I wanted to get to, or a couple of other things, but the refs in this game. So, by the way, like, can we tell this guy we understand you're jacked, the ref? Like, we get it, man. Like, your sleeves can be a little bit longer, right? I mean, come on. Like, Make we, sure. Yeah. We get it, man. You do preacher curls, okay? We, we understand what you're doing there. And I feel like... There's a lot of penalties when this guy's officiating. I'm just saying. I think he likes the camera time showing off the arm work. But anyway, so third and goal for the Dolphins. Patriots are about to hold him to a field goal. That, to me, is just a ticky-tack call yeah, on J.C. Jackson. Yeah, that, that, yeah, on Tyree Kill. Like, yeah. If you can't touch him at all, how are you spying? And I know that sounds like, well, yeah, you're yeah. cheating. No, I mean, no. That, that's like, how you don't see that call. That's ticky-tack, especially in that when you don't do anything to obstruct where Tyree Kill's going secondarily, it wasn't a good ball. Yeah, like he, he wasn't going to have a chance to catch that. I thought that was stupid. The other thing that I don't understand, and maybe you can help me on this one, James, is the helmet helmet Deshaun Elliott has on Devontae Parker. I, how was that not helmet helmet? Yeah, that's, that's, that's I felt like he went in and he hit him like right, like hit the, the top of his helmet, hit him like right in the, in and, the face and mask. And he, and he like launched, you know, kind of launched and like landed on him too. So it was almost a double, a double whammy in my opinion. I thought that, that definitely should have been a flag, but the one the one on JC was bad. It was a, a uncatchable ball. I mean, that type of like grab that happens on every single route. Guys, guys are doing. Yeah, that. there's not a, there's not a time where you know a DB is not gonna ever not touch a receiver, especially in that situation in the red zone. You typically you know, let that go. That was a tough break. Then they got a touchdown. What like two plays later or the next play? So yeah, that's hard, man. The refs definitely, you know, they were they were flag happy a little bit today, but. Yeah, it's tough. You don't want to put the game in the in the refs' hands in those situations. Like I said, just offensively, just gotta be better. Um, I said it's a tough, tough for JC. I mean, like I said, tough matchup. Obviously, going against that type of guy, you you gotta do whatever you can to slow him down to make sure you're in his hip pocket. But yeah, that, I thought that was a terrible call, and I definitely thought that should have been you know, targeting whatever launching whatever you want to call it on Deshaun Elliott. Thought he hit him under, hit him in the face, and I thought he I thought he dumped him too. Which, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a, a quarterback rule, but. Hey, I thought I thought it was deserving of one. Yeah, I saw Barmore got fined like twelve G's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I mean, they, dude, they I know he makes. I know he. <laughs> sometimes they get you on the back, and he may not ca get called for it, but it, 
still get yeah. that FedEx at some point. You know, they they make sure they get those fines, and then they're not gonna miss out on that money. <laughs> you ever get fined? I actually never got fined. I got uh, a warning in the AFC Championship against the Chiefs in, in 2018, like on like two of my third down runs. I said I I like lowered my head. To I'm like, I mean, I don't even run people over like that. Like it's like come on. Oh. <laughs> Oh, is that when like the NFL had that emphasis, like for yeah, the running back? Yeah, yeah, it was like what was back. it like the crown? It was like the, yeah, crown, the crown of the helmet, yeah, right? Yeah, like, I'm like, man, like, yeah. come on, Emma. the guy weighs me by like thirty pounds. What do you want me to do? Like, I'm trying to trying to get the first down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're putting your head down to try to dive and get the first down. Yeah, I mean, the Barmore thing though, like I understand it. He's an NFL player. He's a second round pick. He's making like pretty good money, but twelve thousand dollars. I mean, come on, man, that's twelve thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. I saw like the the number of fine money that they're already at like halfway through the season. I saw it was like a like a crazy amount. I'm like, geez, they're they're well on their way to make a, a good payday back. <laughs> I don't know where that money goes, but NFL is getting some reimbursements. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. So JC Jackson, I feel like coming over, you have two of the toughest assignments that you can imagine in the first couple weeks. Stephon Diggs, who has historically played really well against JC. Yeah. JC, I thought, won that battle. Stephon Diggs had some numbers, but I mean, even if we go back to the play he made in the end zone last week against Stephon Diggs. In this game today, like the Tyreek Hill touchdown, that was sort of, as we alluded to, more of a broken coverage type yeah. situation where he ran through the bracket and he's out there with a guy like Mapu who's inexperienced. I thought he held up. Like, I know some of the numbers aren't going to look pretty after this game because Tyreek Hill did his thing, which is expected, but I really do think like this. Now, unfortunately, the Patriots are sitting at two at six. It may not be that important going forward. But I think we're finding out that, yes, J.C. Jackson was dealing with an injury last year. Obviously, he didn't see eye to eye with Brandon Staley, who may be one of the worst coaches in the NFL and pretty soon is going to get fired anyway. So I don't know how much you blame J.C. Jackson for that situation. But my point being with that is I feel like he's been pretty good. And remember, he's only 27 years old. So it's definitely worth bringing him back. I think he's played well. He has. I thought. Obviously, I thought he never should have left. I know, obviously, contract situations, you go wherever, you know, you feel like you're going to fit, get your most money. But I, you could tell, like, right on early on, it wasn't the, the greatest fit for him, maybe not the greatest scheme for him over there with the charge. But he comes back, comes back home in a system that he knows, you know, Bill knows him, he knows Bill. They know the expectation. They know he can go out there and match up against guys like Tyreek Hill, you know, Stephon Diggs. He may not completely shut him down, but he's a guy has a knack for the ball. You know, he he can win those matchups, and it's definitely a need with Christian Gonzalez going down. But yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be great for this football team going forward. It may not, it may be at two and six, but I think you know for JC himself, he's gonna get his confidence back. The cornerback position is almost like quarterback to me. It's, it's all about confidence. Once you once you lose that, it's hard to you know and go out there and lock somebody up or be you know man to man or in close contention to make plays on the ball. So. I think as the year goes on, he's going to continue to get back to his old self. And I think going into next year, you're going to have two, three, maybe four, like really, really good corners that can play very good man-to-man defense. Yeah, I'm excited for that in the future. And I think two big picture questions about that, because I feel really good about the defensive personnel going forward. I know like I'm saying this after they go to two and six, but we had come to the reality that even with that win against the Bills last week, we knew they weren't making the playoffs. So us, I mean, I know it sucks to be in the locker room right now and playing in irrelevant games down the stretch of the season. Not irrelevant for those guys, but just the fact that you're not chasing anything, right? You're not chasing the playoffs. It's not even like last year you still felt for the majority of the season, hey, we got a chance to get in. That's not going to be the reality for these guys this year, which sucks for them. 
But from like a fan's perspective and somebody that is talking about the team every week from the outside looking in, I do feel really good about Barmore. I do feel really good uh, about Barmore, I should say. He was uh, he had another big play in this game today. I do feel really good about the short sample size we got about with Christian Gonzalez. If Judon's back, we've seen that this guy has been outstanding and hopefully he's okay coming back from his injury. But Jabril Peppers is another guy that, and I mentioned him earlier, he's emerged as a stud for this team. So I do feel like you have nice pillars to the defense. The question is going to be, more so on the offensive side of the football in terms of, hey, are you bringing Kendrick Bourne back? And Because I can't imagine now, we had the conversation last week, that he's moved at the deadline based on how good he's been, and now secondarily, he's dealing with this knee situation. But in terms of the weapons, I do feel like, hey, sixth round, you found something with Demario Douglas. Now, I still think they need to add to that weapon group, although apparently Farrell Brown's like one of the best Titans in the NFL, because every week now, this guy's making big plays. Yeah, he is. (laughs) So I think like, and I don't want to get into a whole offseason thing, but obviously number one priority is getting more weapons out here. But I do also feel like this last stretch, not this last stretch, because we're like, what? We're halfway through. Halfway through. This thing from Mac Jones going forward, like this is a big stretch for him. If you want to be the quarterback of the New England Patriots going forward, you got to justify it down the stretch here because the Patriots may look at this thing and say, hey, if we can trade up and get a quarterback or if a quarterback, like in the case when Mac was there, Quarterback just fell in their lap at 15, right? And they ended up taking Mac Jones. So I do think that he really needs to show something down the stretch of the season because to me, like one really good game against Buffalo, other than that, I'm not saying every single game was bad, but he's had a lot of stinkers in there. So he's got to do something to prove, hey, it's worth investing in or keeping Mac going forward. Because if not, like you owe it to the organization to take a look at that position, just like you would take a look at every other position on your team, especially considering we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the depth of the quarterback position coming out of the collegiate level this year. I mean, yeah, he just has to settle in, you know, be himself, just you know, try and make the best decisions, you know, play in, play out, game in, game out, you know, as you can, control what you can control what you can control, and that's your performance. I say you don't not really gonna necessarily have I mean, he is gonna have something to play for. Essentially you're you're playing for your job, you know, every single week. Once you you know, hit a, hit a certain point. I mean, I know as a Patriot, we've never really been in those type situations, but now they're, I mean, you're always evaluating everybody's performance, but now you're really starting to evaluate somebody, you know, for next year. Like, what guys do we really want to bring back? What guys, you know, maybe we potentially want to move on from, even if they're under contract, all that stuff, all that thing, all those things will start to become more of a conversation, you know, every single week. So you, you may not be playing for anything, you know, maybe for like the playoffs, but you're playing for your job and everybody you want to have, you know, nothing but good tape out there because everybody in the NFL is watching that. Like I said, whether it's right. Mac being on this football team, Mac, you know, being on a different football team, you know, everybody's watching and you always want to put your best foot forward. And I think, like I said, he's a guy who works hard and I think he just has to get his confidence back, kind of get back in his rhythm. The last week he did this week, it wasn't quite there, but it's just going forward. It's just, you should, you should be a little bit more like relaxed a little bit because I said the, I said it's a little bit different. He's gonna feel the pressure. He's gonna he knows he's gonna be be questioned every single week. So just go out right. there and just be you. Just be comfortable, man. Like I said, everything's gonna happen there. Even if you do perform well, like I said, like I said last week, they probably still are going to you know look at the quarterback position, whether it's first round, second round, third round. They're gonna bring or free agent. They're gonna bring probably another talented person. Whether you know Mac ends up being the starter or that guy's just coming in to compete with him, they're gonna do that because Bill's all about competition. Like I've I've been there before. Like we've like I 
sign extension. We're still going to sign running backs, still going to find guys to do similar things to me. And you're going to compete, going to find roles for guys. And the quarterback's a little bit different. You know, it's only going to be one guy on the football field, but that's just the nature of the business. They're looking to find guys that can compete with you or replace you. That's just, that's just what it is. And like I said, I think he still can be the quarterback of this football team. Just has to go out there and just progress as the year goes on. Just, just can't make, you know, silly mistakes. Just protect the football. Like I said, I think the interception today wasn't terrible. I know that, like, on TV, everybody said, that's a horrible decision. Like, I don't think it was, like, that terrible of a decision. I just think that was a heck of a play by the cornerback. I mean, next time he's going to be a little bit more aware of that, you know, in the situation. Just was, it just was a terrible decision because of the timing in the game because they were able to get three or seven. This is a completely different ball game. And then you get a fumble coming out of the gate. Yeah, it's like a – could be like a 14 point swing in that situation. So when it comes to that, just especially like two minute and a half in the game, those situations, you got to be at your best. Well, yeah. And too, I remember like, and they actually showed clips from the 2009 documentary, the do your job when Randy Moss was talking about Halloween, apparently and Bill's like obsessed with Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, like invited him to clip. the party. <laughs> yeah. <showed> up, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Hey, you dress up and you eat candy. How can you yeah. beat it? I'm like, you know what? It's, 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 it's not a bad point. It, it yeah. is. It, it is a very fun holiday. Like when else can you dress up like an idiot and go to a party? Like, you <laughs> yeah, know? Have a good time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I totally understand where they're coming from with, unless you're like on a baseball team, they do the, and the NHL does it too. Like they dress up for, these road trips, which I think is a pretty good idea. I mean, especially when you're traveling as much as those guys are. <laughs> but with Mac, too, to your point, it's like when you look at the first round. So am I doing something to help you? Like, for example, Florida State has like 97 receivers that are like six foot three and they're all studs. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to be in the Marvin Harrison Jr. range, obviously. Like he could go number two, right? Yeah. So, hey, am I drafting somebody for you? Or I, do I have to consider drafting somebody to replace you? Because, I mean, like, I don't want to get into, like, the full draft, but the number one need is weapons or quarterback, depending on where you go with Mac Jones. So you have to prove whether or not you're the guy going forward. If, if I was Mac, man, I would just be going out there and I'd let it rip. And it, look, yeah. I mean, Mac's get a play, like, it, within himself and all that. But let it loose, because who knows? You may not be on the team next year. You're going to try to prove that you're sort of the guy going forward. The other thing I wanted to mention in terms of the bigger, broader points with this team in terms of the deadline, which is coming up this week, like I said earlier, I, I don't believe Kendrick Bourne has moved. I don't know, like, because Juju's really, now I understand he scores the touchdown, but he's really not part of the equation right now, right? Like, that, Douglas that has weird. taken over. <laughs> yeah, really I mean, this is a guy you gave a ton of money to, basically replacing Jacoby Myers with. I can't imagine there's a market for the guy because he hasn't proven that his knee's healthy. I understand the last couple of weeks it's been the concussion. There's a lot of money on that contract. I can't imagine many teams are going to be looking to trade for that guy, considering that you still get a couple more years on the deal. So I'm just looking at it. I would think like Uche's not signed, right? And we know teams are always looking for pass rushers. So, I mean, I don't want to see a repeat. I've been over this a million times of like the Tooney situation where it's like you franchised him and then you let him walk. Like that makes no sense. And if you're... If you're not planning, because Uche is more of like a pure pass rusher, and he's a really good pure pass rusher, like a lot of teams could use him that are contenders. But if you don't believe it's in your plans to sign him long term, that's a guy that I think that you should look at moving. Now, like I said, I like the player. I thought he had a yeah. breakout season last year. But it's if he's business. not part of your future, you're going to make a decision. <laughs> it's a business decision. Like Anybody else you think that possibly could be on the move? Because I would like to keep on Wenyu around just because I think he's 
really their best lineman on the yeah. team. So I would like to keep on Wenyu around. I don't think you're not tra- trading David Andrews. He's a captain, right? Like, I mean, you would like to see him. I, I don't want to say he's at the end of his career, but he's certainly not at the beginning. You'd like him to have an opportunity to play for a winning team. And I don't know what the market is for centers out there, but is there anybody else or do you think Uche or anybody else in this team could be like, who do you think could be moved? Cause obviously they're not buying. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because I said, I, I've never been in this situation. The pages haven't been in this situation in quite yeah. a long time. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they decide to handle it. Do you, you know, trade a guy like Uche, a young talent, which a lot of teams probably playoff contending teams or, you know, pass rushing, Needing teams would love to have a guy like that, kind of like a Yannick Ngakwe guy, a veteran guy who's smaller yeah. but can get after the passer. And you know, guys are always looking for guys like that. And they could possibly be Juju. I mean, like I saw him like early on the game. I thought he was inactive, and I saw him on the sidelines. Like I was like, oh, he's really like completely not involved in the in the game whatsoever, which was kind of weird. But they kind of did that with with Nelson with Nelson Aguilar as well. They paid him. A lot of money. Then at some points he really didn't play. They'd send him in on a go ball a few times, you know, throughout the year. They just didn't play him. But they're obviously they're perfectly fine with holding on to guys, paying him that much money because Nelson stayed there the entire time. You would think, yeah, you know, they would try and you know trade him as well, but they didn't. So I don't know. Bill's not typically a seller. I know they retraded Jamie, you know, one year when I was there, which was kind of a surprise. Yeah, that you never really saw it too much. I think they're more of a end of the year type of evaluating team and then make trades or release guys at that point. So yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to to take in, especially at this point after another loss and you kind of I can't say, I won't say they're completely out of playoff contention because there's a lot of teams still, you know, trying to figure things out. This is one of those years in the NFL where it's still completely wide open, but they're definitely, you know, on the lower half of the, no, on the AFC, so it is a lot to a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, the Juju thing too. I almost think at this point, like I said, I don't think there's a lot of value for him. You're probably just better off keeping him because yeah. of the fact that maybe you try to get him going. Like maybe yeah. a year removed from too. the knee and thing, that he, yeah, <laughs> that he looks better. I mean, because if you're gonna get like you know a mid round, like a fifth or a sixth round pick for the guy, the might as well keep him in house and see if he can improve next year. The one guy, and now we'll see what happens because he got taken off for a head injury, Devontae yeah, Parker yeah, in this game. Like like we yeah. said, that should have been a that should have been a penalty. Idiotic ref. I mean, the one guy that wants to show off his arms, you would have thought that he would have come out for that one, <laughs> right? I mean, come on, that's like you know that's an easy opportunity for this guy to show off that he's been lifting. But Parker's a guy that, considering the fact that we're seeing more DeMario Douglas, that's a guy that I would think, well, you know, Parker did play a lot early on in this game, but now that you have your two and six, you may want to see a little bit more of Kayshawn Booty because apparently they don't want to see Tyquan Thornton. This guy was a healthy scratch. Tyquan Thornton, we're less than two years removed from this guy being a second round pick. He's a healthy scratch. So maybe they don't want to see Tyquan Thornton, but at least maybe they want to see Kayshawn Booty. Parker is a guy where I, I, I just, I don't feel like he's the right type of receiver with Mac, like the guys that do well with Mac are like Douglas, who can do things after the catch, Bourne, who can do things after the catch, right? Like those type of players fit well with Mac. So Parker is a guy, and like I said, I don't know what the market would be for him, and it would be embarrassing if you get like a sixth round or a fifth round pick for Parker and you traded a third and you extended him. Like you would look pretty bad if you did that. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like they probably won't end up trading anybody. Like I said, I think they're going to probably stand still. Yeah, stand still. 
they'll let everybody play out the entire season, and that's how they're going to evaluate whether they want you know guys on their roster or not. See if guys are going to compete, you know, for the rest of the year. Because I think that's what Bill's all about. No matter what their record is, no matter <clears throat> whether they're six and two or two and six, he wants to see guys go out there competing. You know, this is the NFL. I mean, you still have a job to do to go out there and try and win football games. So I don't really think they're going to put anybody out there. Look, if you're going to get something good in return, second round, third round pick, yeah, then maybe you yeah, want to add right. to it. Because, you know, he's always, he's a guy who's, you know, probably even if they do get a top pick in the draft, he's probably going to trade back trade it anyways to get, to get more picks. I, I don't know yeah. what they would end up deciding to do, but that he's that type of, you know, coach and GM. But, yeah, I mean, Devontae definitely could be a guy. I mean, he's a big body target. Not every team has a guy, you know, his size that can make those. He's not creating the most separation, but he can win those one-on-one contested catch i know he would always you know make plays against us whenever we compete against him you know when he was on the Dolphins, so he definitely has some talent there so i can i can see some teams being interested and maybe even juju like if the chiefs are interested in bringing him back he played a, mm. a big role for for them last year and like i said we'll see you know, how their game goes this week against the the broncos are playing right now maybe they need a little more help and bringing him back so there's a lot a lot of things that can that can come up and i just don't but i, I still don't i don't see them making any crazy trades at the deadline. Yeah, as we're recording, they're down 14 to 3. It's what? 528 right now. They're down 14 to 3 and their receivers have not been great, right? They're they're getting some uh what's a rookie's name? Rice, Rasheed, who's been Rasheed kind Rice, of productive. Yeah, yeah, he's been, he's been pretty productive and then they brought back McCole Hardman. Maybe they bring bra- back Juju. <laughs> they get the whole band together. <laughs> yeah, right? And we get, well. get the band back together here. Might and the well. other thing I would say is this. And we we were talking about Ramondre earlier. But if some team decides to overpay and they're like, hey, we feel like we're running back away. Here's a second round pick or something yeah. like crazy. Right. Like, I'm not saying you're not trading him for like a mid round draft pick. But if somebody's like, hey, this is the piece that puts us over the top and gets us to the Super Bowl. Here's a second. round. You, you, you can't be stu- you're going to be like, OK, I mean, I mean, we're rebuilding. That's that's, that's one guy. Bill's definitely not. OK, that's his guy right there, man. All right. He's not okay. last franchise, man. He's not. He's not letting him walk. Yeah. All right. No. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad about that because I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I love Ramondre. Yeah. He, he, I love he, watching he, him play, he, and I just, I mean, I think they c- could be taking more advantage of him this season. But overall, yeah, um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the trading deadline, and we'll see in a couple of days here. But James, before I let you go, I got to ask you about the experience uh, experience on Saturday. You were. Honorary team captain for Wisconsin. I see all over Twitter. You're walking out for the coin toss. I see it on Instagram. So what was that whole experience like? Was that your first time doing it or had you done it before? No, that's my first time ever being honorary captain. I went back for a game last year, but that was my first time, you know, walking out for the coin toss, a night game in Camp Randall. It's a, a special atmosphere. It's different than a 11 a.m. game. You know, it's, it's rocking. You're playing the number three team in the country. It's just, you know, you get those feels. I went back with two of my, my former teammates, you know, Warren Herring, Sojourn Shelton, we do a, a Badger football podcast. So they allowed us to record some content, you know, on Friday. And then we you know, went out to the game, watched the game from the sidelines. So it was just good getting back out there and just kind of reliving some of those moments that we had. And the last time we beat Ohio State was my freshman year. It was a similar type atmosphere, night game, wow. all that. So it's, it's been a long time. So I went back to try and bring them some luck. They played hard, man. They they played them tough, but just couldn't, just couldn't make enough plays. But it definitely was an electric atmosphere in Madison, not too far from you know where I live. So try and get back as much as possible. Yeah. So what is the, because I saw you had it on, I forget if you had it on your Instagram or Twitter. 
And I, I I should know the song because they do it all the time. What's the song they play? It'll jump around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd goes nuts. When do yeah. they do they play that like after the third or is it yeah. a certain time and they just yeah. in the third quarter, yeah. I mean you gotta you gotta be winning to truly enjoy it at that point. But <laughs> sometimes if you're if you're losing and the other team starts jumping around with the fans, it's not a not a great <laughs> feel. <laughs> So as a player, though, you you would like ordinarily, like if you're winning, because when you were there, you guys, didn't you set some kind of record there in terms of rushing offense or something? Yeah. Me and me and Melvin, at the end of my senior year, we were like the leading like rushing duo, duo like ever in college football. I don't know if that still holds now. I don't know. Probably records get broken all the time. So that's a, it was a long time ago. But yeah, we, we definitely would enjoy it, man. I mean, you know. My first three years, we didn't really actually – our coach wouldn't let us, like, jump around and stuff. Then we got a new coach, and we we would start jumping around, having a little fun with it. But it's a it's an exciting time. If you're actually in the stands, it literally – the stands are, like, like moving. It's kind of scary. It's like it's going to collapse. Yeah. yeah, that place looks electric. It always gets rated as, like, one of the top party schools in the country, too. That so I can is. imagine, like, yeah. <laughs> you, 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 win, you win, like, an 11 a.m. or noon game. As a yeah, Wisconsin got, football player, night's pretty fun. I, I would imagine. Yes, yes sir. <laughs> Wait, so did you? So you said three. So we did you play for Paul Christ? He he was my offensive Bielema? coordinator. I played okay. for Bielema, Yeah, my three years. Paul Christ was my offensive coordinator for two years before he went to Pitt to be head coach. So, yeah, I had some good coaches, man. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, hey. Glad you had a good time. Patriots, uh, not so fun watching that game. Uh, and thank you for bearing with me through the uh, losing my voice today. I appreciate it, man. I had, the, I had the same thing going on yesterday, screaming, trying to get the guys going. So I, I know how you feel. <laughs> well, I can imagine. I mean, <laughs> yeah. place is electric. Yeah, it was, man. Jump into the NBA action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Plus, all customers get three free months of NBA League Pass, courtesy of FanDuel, when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. And speaking of the money line, I like the Celtics on the money line on Monday night against the Wizards. Jason Tatum for 20 points, Tatum two made threes, and Derek White two made threes. That way you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $150 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA, must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Limit one pass per customer. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. NBA League Pass, local blackout restrictions apply. Welcome back into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Great stuff there as always from three-time Super Bowl champ James White. Always great chatting with James. We bring in now Jamie McClellan, producer extraordinaire. Jamie, man, how about James White, honorary captain? That looks pretty sweet. Did you see it yeah, on Instagram? Man. No, I need to check that out. I, I saw the jump around part, though. I mean, that looks like a blast. Dude, I remember those teams with him and Melvin yeah. Gordon. They were just running on teams like crazy. It's, a, it's crazy, too, thinking about it from James's perspective like a great running back in terms of running the football at the collegiate level. <laughs> and we think of him as the Patriots. It's cra- kind of crazy, right? Where True. he morphed his career into being like 
one of the best receiving backs yeah. over the past 20 years or so. Like, I don't want to go back in history because a lot of those guys didn't catch balls out of the backfield, but he was like, out of that Patriots group, he was the best guy. Like, if you looked yeah. through them all, the Woodheads, the J.R. Redmonds, the Kevin Fox, the Shane Vereens, he was the best guy to do it. I mean, he we've mentioned him multiple times, he could have won a Super Bowl. So for him to go to this great actual running back to this guy that one of the like unbelievable hands and sweet feet, the nickname. It's kind of crazy yeah. to think about that. And it, that was cool to see James go back there and be the honorary captain. Cool stuff. No, totally. And uh, I, I, we've missed him a lot the past couple of seasons. We haven't really been able to replace him as a pass catching back. I feel like even today we, we could have used him on the field. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that is one thing that Mac, they try to do it with Ramondre. Ramondre is a pretty good receiver, yeah. but that's one thing that the Patriots really since Mac Jones has been here because James White couldn't play in 2021, remember, or 2022, rather. He gets right. hurt in, what, 2020 or 2021. But the point being is he never really played with Mac. He never got to play with Mac Jones. He retired during training camp. So that's sort of the unfortunate thing because he would have been, he got hurt, what, like the third or the second game yeah, in Mac's rookie year. So he really never got to play with Mac. And that would have really helped a young quarterback to have like one of these great receiving backs who it's like, oh, nobody's open. Uh, James White, let me throw to him. Let him have things happen after the catch. So yeah, that is unfortunate from Mac's perspective. They never really sort of replaced that role. Jamie also, man, I've been battling through this voice thing, man. <laughs> Losing the voice, yelling at the Patriots. I mean, that's not, it's been going. I mean, on the Thursday pod, we like it was starting to go a little bit. Early and, signs. Yeah, early signs of it. And then, you know what? This is, uh, we're getting in condition for the Celtic season because <laughs> we're going to be doing a lot of pods. So hopefully the voice holds up throughout the season. What were you? Uh, what made you yell the most today at the Patriots? Which play? Probably, probably the Mac pick. Honestly, yeah, I'd say the Mac that pick. Was... I think I, I think I screamed the loudest though with the defensive pass interference in the end zone on JC Jackson. Oh, that was so stupid, man! Oh my gosh, that that got me. I, I don't like. They make it more, so difficult for these guys to play defense now. Totally. And like you said, it was over his head. Yeah, like he's not going to catch that ball. Tyreek Hill does not need any more advantages than the advantages he already has. I, I mean, come on. And uh, no, that that was annoying. I, I still don't understand. I can't wait to see what we find out tomorrow. I don't know how that's not a head-to-head hit on Parker. He launched him. Totally. I mean, even James White said it. He literally yeah. launched himself at him. He got and, concussed. Yeah, the guy got, yeah. So that was an absolute fucking joke that they yeah. didn't call that. I mean, look, they had their chances. Mac had his chances. If he actually played well today, not that I would ever be like, and you know how I feel, but I would never be like in the Mac camp, like, yes, you're building around Mac, but it's like, at least you're like, oh, maybe he figured some things out, him and Bill O'Brien, but clearly not. I thought Bill O'Brien had another, like he had some nice, like the play action to Farrell Brown. I thought the touchdown play call Mm -hmm. was really nice where he put Juju in motion. And all you need is a, especially when you're in the red zone like that, a quick split second where the two defenders get confused that's what you got. So all in all, I thought he called a pretty good game. Got Demario Douglas going on some jet sweeps and getting your best players involved. And by the way, I give Andrew Callahan a ton of credit. He's the one that pointed this out. So the Boren touchdown, if you go mm. back and watch, Demario Douglas is double teamed. A six-round rookie, which kind of created that opportunity for Kendrick Bourne. So I thought it was another pretty good game from Bill O'Brien. It just It's a huge step back from Mac. No way around it. Is that how you felt? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say obviously the interception was uh, disheartening. But then the thing that gets me is every game he just, or at least this game and a lot of other games, he just takes these brutal sacks. You know, he just like never gets rid of the ball. It's like his, 
he said in post in post game press conference like gotta throw the ball away sometimes. And it's like well you never do that. I just I just don't understand that part of this game. It feels like he's like thinks he's gonna throw an interception, so he tucks the ball in and takes a sack. But it's like there's a a third option, Mac. You know you can just throw it out of bounds, and he never does that. Yeah. That that was like and look I'm not comparing the players, but that was like one of the most underrated things about Tom. Tom knew when to give up on a play. He would just bury it. Be like, okay, this isn't the play. Here comes this guy (laughs) that's 280 pounds off the edge that's going to light me up. I'm not going to do that. And Peyton Manning did the same thing. Like, and smart play. Those are like two of the top six or seven, depending on where you have Manning on your list. I mean, you could have him in your top five, obviously. Regular season quarterback, probably the best of all time. But nonetheless, the point being is sometimes you just got to give up on a play. But I mean, the Parker one, that's another play that I got mad about that could have contributed to the voice issue is the Parker play. He's running wide open across the field. Right. And Mac just doesn't see him like he's wide open. You're going to pick up a first down. And by the way, he had some room to run there. So could have picked up some extra yardage and maybe you end up finishing that drive off with a touchdown. But instead, unfortunately, after you get that huge opportunity with the fumble, you got to settle for a field goal. So it just, it does feel like to me, any glimmer, like that little glimmer of hope, that maybe Patriots fans had with Mac that weren't like super Mac fans and defending everything that Mac does. God bless you if you're that type of Mac <laughs> Jones fans. I don't know why anybody would be that type of fan of Mac. But my over my overall point with that is just the fact that Mac, he's got to be better than that. I mean, you had plenty of opportunities in this game and unfortunately he couldn't get it done. I'd say that hope is distinguished at this point, but uh, I guess there's a lot of seasons still to play. Okay, so let's revisit some of our bets, Jamie. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Oh. Having a ton of fun with FanDuel now that, of course, gambling's been legal for a while here in Massachusetts. But my parlay, we can't really update that yet because I'm only one leg through. As we're recording right now, it is 5.52 on Sunday afternoon. I did luckily get the Eagles to beat the Commanders. And I, I said it the other day, I believe. I don't know if I said it on the pod or when me and you were just talking via on Zoom. I was like, well, I think that this is going to be a difficult game for the the Eagles because they always play him tough. It was. They ended up winning. By the way, AJ Brown, as you know, I have my top screen here at the compound is the Patriots. The bottom screen I keep on red zone. Now, after mm-hmm. that, I put the top screen red zone, but I see out of the corner of my eye, AJ Brown just make an absolutely ridiculous touchdown catch, but still waiting on the Chiefs and the Broncos. We were talking to James about that battle there. Ravens and the Cardinals, and then I gotta wait for that Monday night game for the Lions and the Raiders. That's my parlay was plus one sixty two. How are you doing on yours? Well, I offered up uh, two similar bets, but different bets on uh, Thursday's pot. I had either the Steelers and Colts money line underdog parlay uh, for plus three forty three, and that, or my safer bet was a teaser with the Steelers, Colts, and Chiefs all being teased up. So those both went down in flames very, very quickly. So <laughs> either way, I lost. So that was fun. Um, somehow neither team could even keep it to a touchdown. I guess what's his face? Pickens got hurt, which didn't help, obviously. But uh, I mean, Pickett rather. And then uh, the Colts just couldn't get it together. So it was a bad bet. How about that? Hey, man, it happens to all of us. I've it been does. ice cold with my picking game parlays, but I will say this: I've I've had a lot of fun over the weekend. So game one of the World Series, I did. This is great. Fanduel's doing a ton of boosts. For the World Series. So game one, I got this for a plus 496 with the boost. Oof. Evan Carter for a hit. He got a hit in the first inning. Nathan Avaldi four strikeouts. He did that in the second inning. Nate was rolling. Then he got lit up in the third inning. 
So then I'm thinking this isn't going to hit because the last two legs or the last three legs, <laughs> Corey Seager a hit, Corey Seager two bases, and the Rangers to win on the money line. This is game one, remember. So yeah. Corey Seager comes up, ninth inning. I'm watching this game <laughs> after the Celtics game ends, right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, Corey Seager, home run, ties it up five to five. They're going to win the game now. And then eventually, I can't remember if it was the 11th or the 12th inning when I was, I think, was it the 11th? I think it was the 11th. When you had the Garcia home run to opposite field and they win it. And I'm like, the impossible <laughs> is happening. My parlay, we came all the way back. And then I had one other one on, what was it, Friday night? I did an NBA like all uh, points one. So this is for plus 707 with a boost, which I'm telling you, if you guys are not using FanDuel, you're not doing it right, okay? Get on FanDuel if you're not on FanDuel because they get boosts all the time. We tell you about this every week, people. We tell you about this every pod. Get on FanDuel right now. But I hit this one for plus 707, Jamie. Listen to this one. It's a fun one. And I needed this because I've been cold in the NFL, okay? okay? LaMelo Ball, 20 points. He got exactly 20. Brunson for 20 points. This is against Atlanta on Friday. He got that really early. Murray for 20 points. Jokic for 20 points. Jokic, I thought, was the lock. He had like six points at halftime. I'm like, oh, Jokic is the is the leg I'm going to lose. They both got to 20 points really late in the fourth on the quarter. Dot. And then I had Shea Gildrick's Alexander for 25 points for the final leg of that. He hit that in like the third quarter. This guy puts up oh, absolutely yeah. ridiculous numbers. Shea is unbelievable, but... So I've been having a lot of fun on FanDuel over the past couple of weeks. Now that we have the NBA back, the NHL is back. One of the things I really like about the NHL, you can bet on shots. So like three total shots, mm -hmm. two total shots. You can bet for any time. Goal score, like all that different type of stuff. So now that like this is a great time of the year and yeah, certainly take yes. advantage of the World Series stuff because it's about baseball is about to end. But you got hockey, you have the NBA. Eventually you'll get college stuff. But you have the NFL. College football, I, I'm not great with college football, but I love watching it. I'm just not great with it yeah. in terms of that sport is so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Like Kansas, and I know Kansas has been good. They beat Oklahoma on Saturday. Right like, how did that happen? I don't know. Like Oklahoma, you're supposed to be playing to try to get into right. the national championship conversation. And I know nobody here cares about Oklahoma football. College <laughs> football is just wild. It's very, it's very difficult to bet on that. It's unpredictable. But totally. the props, man, if you're not betting on the props... You're doing it wrong. Like, I have enough fun watching sports and talking about sports, but a little extra juice on it, it makes it a little bit more entertaining. Like, you're, you're randomly watching. Like, when I'm watching the Celtics the other night, I'm, like, peeking in on my bottom TV. I had the World Series on mainly, but I'm peeking in. Like, what's going on with this Memphis game? Where's Jokic at? Where's Murray at? It's a lot of fun. No, this is, like, the busiest time of year. Like, you just laid out with all the sports, and <laughs> that's a pretty crazy bet you had with the World Series. Like, that's, like, one of the biggest home runs ever hit, I feel like, in the World Series. Plus... You hit this amazing bet on that. I like that. Yeah. I mean, more luck than anything else. But can I say this about, it's a slight digression. The Dodgers have been perceived as like the one of the best organizations in baseball. Mm -hmm. And I get it. They win the division, it seems like, every year now. Okay. Juggernaut. They have the Mookie Betts guy, which obviously we're pissed about. How do you let Corey Seager go? And I know he deals with injuries all the time. But if we're going to praise them for, oh, remember like the whole Heim Bloom vision is we want to be the Dodgers. We want to be competitive every year. You had Trey Turner. You traded for Trey Turner because Corey Seager was dealing with an injury or whatever it was. You know, at one point traded for Manny Machado was because Corey Seager was dealing with an injury. No, Corey Seager, when they traded for Turner, they had Seager. Seager was healthy. Yeah. It's when they lost to the Red Sox, they traded for Machado. The next year, Corey Seager's playing. They trade for Trey Turner at the deadline. Him and Max Scherzer. 
The Dodgers have had Manny Machado, Corey Seager, and Trey Turner on their team. Now, obviously, Machado didn't play with Turner. Turner is one of the best players in the postseason. Seager, if it wasn't for Garcia, would be the best player in the postseason right right now in terms of what he's been able to do. And they got rid of all those guys. They didn't bring any of them back. To me, that's arrogance. So if we're going to praise the Dodgers all the time, and I don't know why I'm talking about this right now. Maybe it's just (laughs) I'm I'm spinning off because I'm thinking about the Seager thing. But let's let's kill the Dodgers for that. Okay, you could have Corey Seager. I I love that guy. That guy, whenever, and I get it. Like I understand he has health issues, but he's one of the best players in the sport when he's yeah. actually healthy. He's so good. Yeah, he looks good when he's playing defense too. He's made a number of plays, just like deep in the hole or shortstop. And I mean, him, I would I would have kept Turner over him too. And I, I mean, the fact that they have neither of them is pretty perplexing. But you know who was looking for a shortstop around that time, Brian? The Red Sox. Oh, exactly. They they uh, they got this guy Trevor Story though. So all's well. Well, you know what's interesting about that is story, like the reporting at the time, he wanted to go to Texas because huh. he's a Texas guy. Right. Texas was like, hey, dude, um, your elbow's fucked up. <laughs> we don't want you. Himes like, yo, Trevor. Oh, whatever. Want to come play for the Red Sox? Come on down. You got an injury? Come on down. So they bring him here. And Seager got massive money, of course, he from did. Texas. I mean, Trevor's story got way less than Seager. But the point being is Texas didn't want him, and that's his hometown team. Interesting. I know. Well, Heim heard that he was going to be like, you know, $1 million cheaper, but he's going to miss two years with a broken elbow. And that would sound like a good deal to him. No doubt. No doubt. Um, well, and that's why uh, Craig Breslow. New era. Yeah. New era. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thanks, Brian. All right. Coming up next, I got a couple of thoughts on the Celts that I want to get to and a thought on the bees. All right, so I did want to hit some Celtics because I know a lot of you guys enjoyed that game Friday night. They take down the Heat 119-111. And the biggest thing from my perspective is they closed out the game strong, 32-23 to in that fourth quarter. And Derek White and Jalen Brown take you home. White hit three threes. Jalen hit two, including basically a game sealer, if you will. White, by the way, had 14 in the fourth, and Jalen had 12 in the fourth. The Celtics, maybe more importantly than just those two guys individually, they posted a 128 offensive rating in the fourth quarter. And that's big, right? They played faster in the fourth quarter. So the Celtics' pace was at 98 in the fourth quarter. So basically what that means, if you're unfamiliar with that number, it means they'd average 98 possessions for the game. That's the pace they played at in the fourth quarter, which is a really good number, and it's really important for a couple of reasons. Well, if you go back to last season, the Celtics played at just a 94.8 pace in the fourth quarter. That was 25th in the NBA, so they played slow. And because their offensive rating, or because they played so slow, their offensive rating suffered. Just a 112.4 offensive rating in the fourth quarter last season, that was 17th in the NBA. And we're talking about one of the best offensive teams in the league. There's no reason that they should be 17th in offensive rating in the fourth quarter. Part of that was... They were playing slower, and on Friday night, they played faster, and as we mentioned, that resulted in a 128 offensive rating. So that is certainly something that looks different. Now, I want to see how that goes throughout the season, because in this particular game, they weren't in full control in the fourth quarter, right? A lot of the time last year, they had big leads, and they'd sort of step off the gas pedal. In this game, they were fighting back, and then they were going back and forth. So in this game, they had to play faster. I want to see this not just over a one-game sample size or a two-game sample size, I should say. I want to see this when they have to do it for an extended amount of games, right? But that's something I certainly noticed the other night, and I really like, that they continued to play fast even into the fourth quarter. 
Another note, a much better Jalen game, clearly. And you love seeing him fired up, blowing a kiss after the clincher. You like seeing that from Jalen, right? Because he had a tough first game of the season. Now, I told you, he was going to have to find his way to fit into this team a lot more than Jason Tatum, right? Because Jason Tatum's role is obvious. He's the number one guy on the team. It's going to be a little bit more difficult for Jalen. So, yes, he did have a couple of those careless turnovers that we see with Jalen Brown. And that's just going to be part of the experience going forward. But the one thing I noted before the season, Jalen is basically in the top 1% of athletes in the NBA. And that may sign, may sound slightly hyperbolic, but how many guys can you really name in the NBA that are better athletes than Jalen Brown? Like you may not get to a five, right? So Jalen, as long as he's taking care of the basketball, he should be able to get into the paint at will, especially now with all the shooting around him, specifically the guy that is seven foot four and hits threes with a super quick release, right? So Jalen in that game finished with 14 points in the paint, which is a really good number. Now, this is a number I constantly point to with Jalen and something I'd like to see him to do consistently going forward. Jalen post-All-Star break lived in the paint. He was fourth in the NBA last year in points per game in the paint post-All-Star break at 15.5. That's a great number. So you want him constantly in attack mode, make quick decisions, right? And it's not just about his drives, but we talked about the other day. We had that great voicemail about Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is one of the best cutters, and I mentioned this the other day, but he's one of the best cutters I've ever seen. And I'm sure some historian of the game can put someone else in that category, if you will. But from my perspective, especially from a swing man, I've never seen a better cutter than Dwayne Wade. The timing was always right. And we saw Jalen where somebody dribbles at him. What does he do? Back cuts and he gets an easy dunk. We saw him do that on Friday night. That's something that he can sort of weaponize. So I believe this could be a huge area of growth for Jalen Brown. Just finding out a way to be more dangerous off the ball, right? Like that's something he needs to improve with, right? So there are certain guys where you say, hey, just go stand in the corner, right? Like Grant Williams, he's a role player. Go stand in the corner and you're going to get open three-pointers off drives. Jalen's too good of a player to begin with. You don't want that to be his role. And quite frankly, he's not a great three-point shooter, right? And that's not his game. So Jalen is going to have less isolations than he did last year, right? So he's not a guy that you want coming off screens, shooting off movement all the time, like Clay Thompson, like J.J. Reddick's one of the best I've seen do it, where he can shoot where he's basically fading away from the basket, or Ray Allen. Like, those guys are all great coming off screens. That's not his game. But the athleticism, it's something we talk about with Tatum all the time. He needs to weaponize that. And if he can become an elite cutter, I honestly think he could get two buckets a game, maybe even three there. Aaron Gordon last year, for example, who's not a great shooter, and Jalen is a better scorer, way better scorer than Aaron Gordon. Gordon's a better defender. I'm not comparing the players. I'm just saying Aaron Gordon last year. Now, it certainly helps him that he plays with arguably the best big man passer of all time. It's either him or Bill Walton, right? You'd have to ask the boss, Bill Simmons, who's better, but it's one of those two guys. But anyway, he averaged four points per game off of cuts last season. It's all timing. Okay. Oh, my defender is playing off me. Let me cut right in front of his face, right? Look, so it's not just about back cuts like we saw the other night from Jalen. But hey, if Jason Tatum has the ball on the left wing and Jalen notices that his defender, eyes are on Tatum, kind of sagging off him, if you will, to protect the paint for a Tatum drive, cut across his face. You get in there and he gets a little easy shot from the short mid-range where it's just one of those push shots that Jalen can certainly benefit from and that gets him in the paint. So I love Jalen. I want to be clear about that. I just think his sacrifice is the toughest. And it was great to see him have a huge game on Friday night. 
And I am really interested now going forward. Like I talked about it after the first game. I'm interested to see what he does to fit in. I'm interested to see if he sort of starts to become a better cutter than he's been in previous seasons. Okay, so that's the first thing. Great to see Jalen get going. All right, next up, I know you guys are going to be surprised by this, but Derek White, Derek White, Derek White. If my voice was better, I'd be screaming this right now. So I had an emergency meeting for the Derek White fan club on Saturday morning as the president. It was awesome. You know what we talked about? He had not one, not two, but three, count them, three blocks on Jimmy Butler. It was awesome. Okay. Two were on dunks. The second chase down block was just unbelievable how he lined him up. And then he had the one on Jimmy where Jimmy just tried to shoot over him. Derek White's like, uh, dude, you can't do that. You can't just shoot the ball over me. And Derek White blocked him there. So that was incredible. We all, the, the chase down was awesome. Awesome, man. I was thinking about going to that game. Obviously, I didn't end up going to that game for obvious reasons based on the voice situation. But anyway, my point being is I wish I was in the arena to see that play. You've probably seen it from all different angles now, but that was awesome. Okay. So right now him and Drew Holiday are tied for second among guards and blocks to each have four. White needs that title again, right? We need him to get that for the second straight year, the most blocks for a guard. Actually, a Sarah Thompson from the Pistons rookie. He has six right now. That's the most in the, actually, no, he has seven. That's the most in the NBA for a guard. The Thompson kids, the twins, one's with Houston, of course, and one with Detroit. Those guys are super athletes, but I really don't want him taking that title away from Derek White. We in the fan club will look to see if any of those are steals, because one of the things that will happen in certain arenas like home court, you'll get an extra assist that really doesn't deserve to be an assist. You'll get an extra block that was actually more of a strip than it was a block. So these are things that we in the Derek White fan club, if Thompson keeps this up, we will be monitoring this all season long to make sure his blocks are legit. Just putting that out there for everybody to know. But anyway, White hit clutch threes. He finished five of seven from distance. That's the guy that was scared to shoot a couple of years ago in the finals and in the playoffs. Totally different guy right now. And he was closing out the game, right? Which is different, and it's awesome to see. Two games in a row, Derek White on the court in crunch time. That didn't happen all the time last year. We went through it all the time. And by the way, the Grizzlies, they stink. And I get it. They have injuries. They have their best player suspended. They're 0-3. 0-3 Memphis with Marcus Smart. And by the way, they have a 100.5 offensive rating with Smart on the court, 106.7 with Marcus off the court. His team stinks when he's on the court offensively. And look, I'm I'm not saying that it's all Marcus and it's not all Marcus's fault, but this thing makes a lot more sense without Marcus. And he's not a barometer of good offense. They hope that he could be sort of the John Morant replacement for the time being. Well, guess what? They probably had a better point guard in terms of an actual point guard that they sent away, right? And Tyus Jones, who's been one of the best backup point guards in the NBA, just runs the offense. Marcus can't really do that. And of course, he affects your spacing. And on a team that doesn't have shooting in Memphis, with the exception of Desmond Bain, that's had a difficult start to the season, it's really tough to have Marcus out there too, having a guard that can't shoot when you have all these bigs that can't shoot. Anyway, I digress. One play that stuck out to me about Derek White in that game Obviously, a lot that did, but the chase down block, but one in particular. So Al Horford has the ball on the right wing. So White is near the nail, and he goes to set a screen for Tatum, who's coming from the left side. So Tatum fakes like he's going to run off the screen and get the ball at the top of the key, right, which is like a very typical play. But instead, what does he do? Tatum decides to cut right to the basket, right? So what happens is White's defender actually goes – with Tatum for a brief second. It was Hawkins, the rookie from UCLA. 
So when he goes with Tatum, White just jumps out to the three-point line. Al hits him for a perfect pass, easy three-point shot for White. And it's a couple of things there. First of all, it's just the intelligence of these two guys. It's Tatum reading the defense, realizing, hey, I'm getting overplayed. I'm just going to cut to the basket. And White realizing, oh, my guy went with Tatum. I'm popping out. I'm going to get a wide-open three-point opportunity. So it's just the cerebral player that White is. You love to watch it. He makes plays all the time. But it's it's those little things with Terry White. He's always making the right play. And it just shows confidence now that he gets that ball. He's just pulling the trigger. We saw it late in the fourth quarter. He's pulling the trigger on those threes, which you love to see because at points in the finals and even in the Eastern Conference finals, you could, besides that, what, that great game, I'm talking about two years ago, the great game six, yeah, where he hit like a million threes and Jimmy Butler basically won the game, but Derek White tried to win it for the Celtics. My point with that is he would just hold the ball. Like he was almost petrified to shoot. I do think part of that was Ime. Because Ime did like have a quick hook with Derek White at times. But the thing that you notice is now he just gets that ball and he launches it. So I just love watching him play. He's perfect for this team. I did want to mention Drew, right? Because he certainly had his moments in that game. Again, he, talking about blocks, he had a ridiculous block at the cup on Hakez, the rookie. And this is a guard that goes up and gets that. It's 112 to 108 with 110 left in the game. This is another play. He just pulled up in the mid-range to give the Celtics a 114-108 lead, where basically what he did to get to that mid-range, little up fake because he had, he's a good three-point shooter, historically, especially over the past three seasons, gets Lowry in the air, couple dribbles, gets into the paint. You notice he's always under control, right? He's always under control, gets to his spot, hits a little mid-ranger, makes it 114-108 with basically, what, a minute and seven seconds left in the game to give the Celtics a six-point lead. So that was huge. couple of really nice drives, and he had the rookie Kane on him, and he just abused him. He got the ball on the left block and he realized, okay, this is a rookie. I'm way stronger than this guy. And basically what he did is he bullied his way to the basket or bullied his way to the block and then hit a nice little turnaround jumper. And he kind of reminds me when he plays in isolation like that. And it's not like he plays in isolation all the time. He takes advantage of mismatches. Like he's not going to go at Jimmy Butler one-on-one frequently, right? He realized, okay, I get this guy Kane on me, a rookie. I'm going to go at him. So basically he plays like an old school forward in isolation. He has like that mellow Pierce style where he just like hits you with the body because those guys were so big and Drew Holiday is incredibly strong for a guard. So he's just going to hit you and hit you a couple of times. And all of a sudden he's got all the separation for just like an easy turnaround jump shot where he can nail that. And if you look at it now, that felt like the Jalen Derrick White game, right? I, I don't want to name regular season games after guys, but that game on Friday night felt about more about Jalen and Derrick White than anybody else in the Celtics. I think we'd all agree on that, right? But then you look up the end of the game and it's like, wait, hold on. Drew had 17 points. He had 10 rebounds and he had seven assists and he had that ridiculous block. It's just, I did like, he was playing well throughout the game and he's making all these plays that I was thinking to myself, like, it's probably not going to show up in the box score, but I thought he played really well. And then I look at the box score after the game, it's 7, 10, and 7. I'm like, holy shit, this guy just, he puts up numbers. All right, so that's a sign of a great player. When you have 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and 17 points, and it's not even your game. It's Derek White and it's Jalen Brown's game. Another thing I liked on Friday night, O'Shea Brissett was awesome, man. Now, he did not play in the opener, and then he grabbed three offensive boards. One off a free throw miss. Nobody does that. Nobody does that unless it's Bobby Portis against the Celtics. And oh my God, remember that game five where he had that rebound? Anyway, I don't want to go back down through memory lane there because that's not a good memory. But anyway, you don't, you rarely see that. He got another one that led to a Hauser three that eventually led to a Hauser three. He got it, gave it to Pritchard. Pritchard gave it a Hauser. Hauser knocks down the three, right? 
he also had a nice cut for a massive dunk and that Miami called the timeout of that. He's a very athletic guy. Tatum said after the game that he was the sole reason we got back into the game. Now, I don't agree with that in totality, like a lot of other things have. And I know Tatum's just giving his guy credit, but he did have a major impact on the game, just bringing that energy. Now, you needed to see this, right, where you got more guys involved off the bench, where 26 minutes from Al and Cornette with eight, Pritchard 11, Hauser and 14 in the first game. You needed more production. Like, you didn't get much out of the Cornette minutes. So what we saw in this game is they basically swapped out the Cornette minutes for Brissett. And Brissett, I think this is a huge development, right? And I know it's one game, but he's been in the league for a while. And this is who he is. He's a solid defender, but he plays with so much energy. Like, he's at the point in his career, O'Shea Brissett is, where he understands what he has to do. His activity level was off the charts. It's, hey, I'm a role player. So I have to do something that other guys don't do. and. In this case, it's hustle, it's get offensive rebounds, and he gave the team a massive lift. Okay, and yes, he can't shoot, but you need these type of players that, in the case the other night, he created extra possessions. So in totality, he brings more to the table, from my perspective, than Hauser does. Hauser's just a shooter. Brissett is a cutter. He's a rebounder. He's a defender. So I love this pickup. And look, Hauser has a better skill than any of the skills that Brissett has, right? But it's just nice to have another guy that can play on the wing line that can bring a different sort of element to the game than does Sam Hauser. The other thing I would mention is I would, I'm thinking about this as I'm watching the game the other night. I'm like, okay, Cornette's not playing. We see this energy that Brissett's bringing. I would only play Cornette in the games that Horford or Porzingis sits out. Now, every once in a while, like it's going to be a weird matchup or whatever, but I would. I would only play him in the games where one of those two guys isn't playing because I think you get more value from the wing position. I know it's a one-game sample size for each guy, but I just think the player profile with Brissett makes a lot more sense. So speaking of Brissett, the other thing. So I mentioned this after the first game, that I noticed Al was much more active on the offensive glass, especially when he was a spacer in the corner offensively. You saw him crashing the glass a lot more. And... That hunch that I had, it proves to be correct. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but maybe I am patting myself on the back a little bit. But anyway, so the Celtics the other night, Friday, had 16 offensive rebounds. And B-Rob had a story after the game. Great story by B-Rob, if you haven't seen it in Mass Live, everybody B-Rob. So now this has become an emphasis for the Celtics, is actually going after offensive rebounds. Joe Mazzula actually mentioned it after the game. And so my hunch was correct here. That's why we saw Al going after the glass in the opener. So in that game, Derek White, three offensive rebounds. Al and Brissett each with three as well. We mentioned Brissett. Porzingis had three. So if you look at it last year, the Rockets led the NBA with 13.4 offensive rebounds per game. The Celtics were at 16 on Friday night. Okay? (laughs) So that's a big number. They were 20th last year at 9.7. So what that did is those offensive rebounds led to 23 second chance points. Last year, the Rockets led the NBA at 16.7. The Celtics were just 22nd at 12.7. So you were essentially 6.3 points better, or 6.3 rebounds better, I should say. Or no, 6.3 points better than the league's leader. And you were 10.3 points better than you were last year in terms of those second chance points opportunities that we saw from the Celtics the other night when they got the 23. So that to me is just, it's a great thought by Joe, right? And we've seen the Grizzlies do this for years. We've seen the Raptors do this for years. Those teams aren't as efficient as the Celtics have been in the half court and will be this year as well. 
So it's just sort of one of these things where lesser teams we've seen in recent years, lesser teams in terms of their talent offensively. The Grizzlies have been a good organization despite the dumpster fire over the last year and a half. But lesser talented offensive teams, they will take that low-hanging fruit, which is the offensive glass. And the Celtics are actually doing it with an elite offensive team in terms of a talent perspective. I give Missoula credit for this. They didn't do this last year. That's growing as a coach. That's looking at the numbers and saying, hey, we can take advantage of this. So I really like this idea from Joe Missoula. And part of the reason is this. I think one of the things we're noticing with the offense, it's going to be an elite offense. So don't get me wrong. And this is not an indictment on the team. I'm just pointing something out, okay? Because I love this team. I love this offense. I love everything. I've been over it. But I don't think they're a great passing team. And I know a lot of people had takes about this before the season. I heard Zach Lowe mention it on his podcast. And, but here's the thing. I know it's early, okay? But no one on this team you would look at and say, hey, that guy's an elite passer. Maybe Horford for his position, but it's not like you're running your offense through Horford, right? And look, I don't think this is going to be a big problem or anything because you have multiple guys like Tatum, Porzingis, where both those guys have gravity. And even Jalen, we've seen in the past, he can force a double team with his athleticism. But this is why I like the offensive rebounding thing, right? That can make up for a lack of great passing where you say, okay, we're not going to be the best passing team in the NBA, but you know what we're going to do? We're super athletic, so we're going to grab a bunch of offensive rebounds, something we didn't dig into in the past. The Celtics, one thing that is not great is their passing. That's like their one thing they're not great at. So you take out the first game because you had so few shots. Remember we talked about that? They had like 75 shots in the first game. Throw that game out. That's an outlier. But let's look at Friday night, for example, the game they win. The Celtics had 20 assists. So if you convert that number to per 100, it's basically the same because the Celtics played at a 99.5 pace. So basically 20 assists per 100 possessions. So if you look at that number, that is not very high. No team was self of 22 assists per 100 possessions last year. Again, the Celtics in that game were at 20. So that's Celtics number will be better, right? It's going to be better than that number we saw the other night. Last year, heck, they were at 26.5. And I don't think this is just a smart thing because, of course, he's not here anymore. And I think it's more like part of it is I don't we don't see them just chucking up threes. Right. So a lot of times the Celtics are going to generate mismatch advantages and you're not going to get an assist on those. Right. When guys are going one on one. And I'm not saying I have a problem with that. If you have an isolation situation, if you're Jason Tatum against a smaller defender, take it. Same thing with Drew Holiday. You get a small guard on you. Take it. Jalen, you get a small guard on you. Take it. Like, I love that type of offense. But my point with that is this Celtics offense, as talented as they are, they're not going to play like the beautiful game Warriors, like even pre-Durant, where the ball is flying around and all that different type of stuff. But I do think Smart, like that Derek White play I mentioned, that's stuff we can see. Like, Smart was a really good passer for this team. I totally acknowledge that. But I think we're going to see Smart plays like we saw from Derek White, right? Where it's like, okay, that play we mentioned earlier – Oh, Tatum's cutting these guys going with him. Oh, let me go out for a three-pointer. Like that type of stuff. I think the Celtics, despite not being a great passing team, they're going to make up for it with smart idea by Joe Mazzulla is the offensive rebounding situation where clearly that's an emphasis. And despite the fact that none of these guys I would point, like I said, with the exception of Al, you don't run offense through, none of these guys are elite passers, but I do think they're all really smart basketball, or at least like the top three decision makers on the team. When you're talking about Drew, Derek White, and Jason Tatum, and Drew's had turnover issues at times, but those guys are all really smart basketball players. And, and Al Horford's a smart basketball player as well. So I just love that sort of, that they can, despite not being a great passing team, there's other ways to make up for that. Okay, one other note. 
and this is kind of a negative thing, but it's just something we're pointing out. This is part of the reason this team is really deep in terms of the top six, and this is why they have the best top six in the NBA. Porzingis in that game the other night, 17-9, and nine, he follows up. So he was really good defensively in the first game where he was altering every shot and had all the blocks. But one thing we noticed in that game, and I don't even think the biggest Celtics fan with footy pajamas could argue this one, Bam is going to give him problems. It's a quickness thing, right? So Bam was 8 of 15 for 20 points with Porzingis as his primary defender in that game. Porzingis really struggled on Bam in that game. We saw him go by him, and he wants to pull Kristaps out, right? And you kind of have to respect the mid-range and the push shot from Bam. Bam's one of the elite centers in terms of the frequency. He takes those little push shots, like that short mid-range area. So that is going to be a problem, I believe, for Kristaps is – and a potential heat matchup, trying to match up one-on-one with Bam. And look, a lot of guys are going to struggle against Bam. But that's why you have Al. When Al covered Bam, he was just one of four because Al can muscle him up. And Al is a little bit, he's, I don't know, like, I don't know if they could have like a weightlifting competition, but he's right there in terms of the strength of Bam. And you could argue that Al's even a little bit stronger. And Al is just a really savvy defender. So that's why you have Al, is for a guy like Bam. Okay, so it's just something to keep your mind. Everyone talks about the matchup against Embiid pounding him down low. And Bam's another guy, but this is why you have Al. Porzingis is, and Porzingis is going to be a good defender for this team all year. It's just certain matchups he's not going to be great in. But the point is, he's going to make up a, for a lot of that on the offensive end. And he was not great the other night. Nobody would say he was, but it's just something to keep your eye on, keep in the back of your mind as you get closer to, when we get closer to the playoffs, is it's another reason you don't want Bam, or you don't want the Heat, because you don't want to see Bam. I know everybody's scared of Jimmy. Bam scares the shit out of me. Okay. So Tatum in that game, just 9 of 22, 3 of 10 from deep. But this is what makes him special. Still grabbed eight boards, still had five assists. So Tatum, despite the poor shooting game, he was a plus 13. That was tied for Kevin Love for the best on the team. And Love was just out there basically for a big heat run. No other Celtic was better than a plus eight, and that was Peyton Pritchard. So Tatum was five points better than anybody else on the Celtics, and he had a bad shooting night. So when your gravity, your rebounding, your playmaking can make up for a bad shooting night. That's what tells you you are an elite player. You're a plus 13 when you're nine of 22 from the floor. That's why Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Most guys can't do that. Hey, when you're not scoring at an efficient level, and he still scored 22, when you're not scoring at an efficient level, what else can you do for me? Oh, you know what? I'm going to grab a shit ton of rebounds. I'm going to take on double teams. I'm going to make good passes. My cut, like Tatum generated a three for Derek White just because of who Jason Tatum is as a player by cutting to the basket. So that was great to see as well. All right, quickly on the Bs. They have the tough one on Thursday night where they blow that one, but they come back with an emphatic 4-1 to win over a Detroit team that has played really well. They win this game on Saturday night. And if you look at Detroit, they came into this one, or they are now third in the NHL and scoring four goals per game, just one goal on Saturday night. So the Bruins continue to be great in their own end. You outshoot Detroit 30 to 23, so you control the action. The pasta penalty shot, man. If you miss this, please go on social media. Because if you didn't see this, it's just ridiculous. He gets Huzo to basically fall forward on the fake and then put it top shelf. Like it was almost a shimmy. It was just ridiculous. So that was a great goal by Pasta on the penalty shot. He also had that empty netter where... You rarely see this. It was a bank shot. How often do you see this? He banked it off the boards into the net. I mean, this it just sort of tells you like how talented the guy is. Like most guys don't even think of that. Boss is like, oh, I'm going to shoot this off the boards and it's going to go in. It's unbelievable. And so 
He's now up to 13 points, which as we're recording, which this is 1230 before the one o'clock games, he's up to 13 points, which is third in the NHL. Maybe this is the year, right, that he could actually get the Hart Trophy, where we always say it's going to take a special circumstance to for Connor McDavid not to win. And Connor McDavid has not had the start in terms of the points and all that. Hughes leads the NHL at 18. Like I said, Pasta's at 13, but he's still third. Hughes is an absolute stud, but the plus minus for Pasta's eight. Hughes is zero. Okay. And by the way, if you look at the Hart Trophy odds right now on FanDuel, Pasta's at plus 1,200, maybe worth a little sprinkle on that. But this could be the year where you say, hey, if McDavid doesn't win it, this is a chance for somebody else to get into the conversation. That Devils team is really good from an offensive perspective, not very talented in the defensive end. Luke Hughes has played well for them. But all in all, I believe Pasta is going to – like, Jack Hughes may end up with more points. Like I, That guy gets a million shots per game. That's something, by the way, if you're looking for fan to look at Jack Hughes' shots. That's something you take advantage of. But maybe this is the year, right? We said it's always going to have to be a special circumstance. Like, any other year, last year, most years in the NHL, if Wayne Gretzky or <laughs> Connor McDavid aren't playing, he wins the MVP. So just something to keep in the back of your head. The other guy I wanted to mention is McAvoy. He had a goal which was kind of a softy. But that's what you want to see from McAvoy, where he's driving hard to the net. He's now up to a plus seven, which is tied for 10th in the NHL. He's 22nd in ice time. I'd expect that number to go up as well. He now has seven points. Maybe this is the year, like we talk about with Pasternak, where he could get into the conversation for the Norris Trophy. He's at plus 1,500 right now. I'm telling you, I would get on FanDuel right now, if you're listening to the podcast, put something on Pasta for the Hart Trophy at plus 1,200. Put something on McAvoy at plus 1,500. I think the other thing that helps McAvoy this year is it's sort of, and I know Marshawn is the captain, but basically the trio now is Marshawn, Pasternak, and McAvoy. It's now their team. There's no Bergeron. There's now no Krejci. So I do think that McAvoy will get a lot more credit than he has in previous seasons. So just some things from a gambling perspective to keep your eyes on. Of course, in that game, Zaka had the rebound where he's flying in. That looks so cool for the rebound flying in on the power play there. So a nice win for the Bruins. Great start to the season, and now the Panthers on Monday night. So you get a rematch against the Panthers. We just saw the Celtics get their rematch against the Miami Heat, so we're psyched up for that one. Also tomorrow night, you have the Celtics and the Wizards. I wouldn't even say a re- uh, revenge game for Porzingis. Porzingis is like probably thankful, right? Because basically he went to Washington. He played in irrelevant basketball games. But because he played so well and because he got so many opportunities because he's playing on this shit team, he got an opportunity to come to one of the best teams in the NBA. So if anything, I think poor Zingas would be like, yeah, I, I love the Wizards. They got me to the Celtics, right? I mean, he needed sort of to rehab his image after the Dallas situation, and he certainly has. Oh, so note this week. We'll be doing a pot after the Wizards and Celtics and the Panthers and the Bruins on Monday night. Then we'll pot again on Wednesday. think we're going to have Michael Pina, of course. Love having him on from the Ringer Talk NBA. I think we're going to ha- we're gonna have him on after C's and Pacers. So I think we'll do that on Wednesday. I know we will do that on Wednesday night, but I believe Pena is going to be with us as well. So as well. So we'll do Monday, we'll do Wednesday, and then we'll do our normal Thursday pod this week. Okay. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC.
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.